1: This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkoff, and I am joined here in our brand-new, sparkling third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK, podcast studios by Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University, Evelyn Farkas of the Atlantic Council, Ed Luce of the Financial Times, and in her position, in her bunker, somewhere beneath 10 Downing Street, <laughs> is <laughs> Corey Shockey. Um, there aren't the, the, those tunnels, you know, like, like so saw so the Churchill movie. There's like all these kind of, under. isn't that where you live? Underground? It's cool the
2: tube, David. They run trains through them,
1: too. Oh, the tube. The no, tube. no, I thought there was, like, some place there where they are, were...
2: There are. There are. The I Cabinet read War is... Room. I read, a whole, I read a whole novel which centered around dead bodies being left all over the place underneath London in those times.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. I have an
2: airtight alibi for every single one of them.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you... <laughs> and, in, sure... in
2: fact, one of the reasons that some of those structures were built, this is true fact, real real, real news, uh, was to create uh, hardened bunkers and so forth uh during the cold war so Corey, um you should feel right at home
3: you're in the right place
2: absolutely
1: <laughs> yeah the cold war will be right there for you but i also what about like v you know i mean remember remember the fifth of november <laughs> all that kind of stuff i mean is you know that the, there was a lot of underground stuff going on there too
3: there well there, there was the underground plot to br- blow up the houses of parliament uh, yeah there weren't
1: those your people
3: they they, 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 they. Yes, they were. Uh, the, uh, by the way, Corey, it's the tube, not the you tube. Put it
4: in the past. <laughs> <laughs>
3: just, just. Oh well, my God. God! I tried. I
1: made my best effort. Oh my God! Did you hear that, Corey? <laughs> Did you hear that correction? Don't tube. listen to him, Corey. He tube. doesn't know how to talk. Tube. Um, uh, that's why that country is going down the tubes. <laughs> uh, anyway, so. Speaking of countries that are going down the tubes, um, here in the United States of America, we've had this kind of fantastic um, drama playing out over the course of the past week, where Devin Nunez...
2: You call it a fantastic drama? This is the worst drama (laughs) I've ever witnessed. It's so boring. Well, it is kind of boring. The showrunners ought to
0: be
1: off the set. Yeah, but I, well, yeah, okay. But I mean, let's talk about it a little bit, and then we can move on to the next thing. But you know, there's there's been this memo um, which got all this hype, mostly from Russian bots, um, and the memo which got hype from the Russian bots. Um, you know, the, the you know the Trump wanted it released, even though he didn't read it. Even though I believe somebody in the White House told them to write it, but that's another story, and. And then it came out and Trump said, It vindicates me. And no one else who read the memo saw anything <laughs> in it. That did anything. Including
0: in Republicans on Capitol Hill. Even Republicans on Capitol
1: Even in Republicans on Capitol Hill, one of the fastest growing types of invertebrate on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> um could not find anything in this. And now we have a debate going on about whether we should release the Democratic memo, which says the Republican memo was stupid. So <laughs> let us st- let us start with Rosa Brooks. Um, and and, you know, is this really much ado about nothing? Is this just, you know, silly season and ju- we're just like trying to keep occupied until Mueller does something real?
2: Basically, yes, I think Um The memo said nothing, but but there was a very smart piece in Slate by my friend Dahlia Lithwick, which made the depressing point that even though the memo in no way vindicates Trump, uh, and on the contrary contains a few nuggets that seem to do the opposite, um, that it's still unfortunately going to play out as a a political win for him because it is both incomprehensible and boring, which means that unless you follow this... uh, in a sort of crazed, obsessive way, and I confess I am not one of the people who follows this in a crazed, obsessive way. I could barely bring myself to glance at the menu mem- memo, much less actually read it.
1: Do but you think, do you follow anything in a crazed, obsessive way? I do,
2: way? I do, but I'm not gonna tell you what they are. Um, <laughs> but it's not this memo. But, but unless you follow it in a crazed, obsessive way, All you're going to read are the headlines, and if you're a Trump supporter, all you're going to be reading are headlines at places like Fox and Breitbart. Anyway, the headlines are going to say, Memo Vindicates Trump, and you're going to sort of glance at the memo, and you're going to think, this is incomprehensible and boring, but it's good to know that it vindicates Trump, and that's going to be the takeaway. So I I do think, against all odds, right, we've actually seen Trump slightly surge in the polls in the last couple of weeks. Um, so, so I think that it, it it is a win for him. It was smart for him to push for it to release because people don't actually read and they believe whatever their 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 personal favorite inside their own bubble uh, news source tells them.
1: Ed, you know, you you corrected Corey, and 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 because you know you're speaking in your native tongue, so let me speak in <laughs> let me speak in my native tongue because I'm from New Jersey. What the fuck. I mean, you know, like Trump's approval rating is going up. I mean, is it really as simple as Rosa says and Americans are just dumb and they're not reading stuff Um, or that they they like it when they hear what they want to hear, even if it's not true?
3: Uh, no, I wouldn't agree that Americans are dumb and they're not reading stuff. I mean, any more than people of other democracies, such as such <laughs> as the one that Corey is sitting in, cast um, out of our country. Um, <laughs> the um, the reason is poll numbers are doing well. I think is unrelated to the Devin Nunes memo. Uh, I mean, I think you know the, there is a little bit more growth. The stock market, until three days ago, was <laughs> looking true. frothy, um, and there's a sort of that general you know hard to hard to put your finger on sense of slightly better economic mood music is benefiting trump and people are attributing this to uh the tax cut bill at least people who don't follow economics obsessively An extra are, a week. exactly <laughs> i mean it is it's absurd it's not empirically demonstrable but if we're talking about mood music and i think yes rose is absolutely correct the all you need to do is cast enough doubt on the integrity of the fbi and the DOJ and federal law enforcement agencies um, in enough of the electorate's mind for Trump to achieve what he wants to achieve, which is to say this is a partisan witch hunt. Uh, and, and, you know, his ultimate goal is to ensure the GOP is fully behind him, and they are in a way that would have been hard to imagine even three or four months ago. They are fully in the tank with him on this. They're fully prepared to attack the deep state, people in third sub-basements, as being in the tank for the Democrats, and it is a what the fuck moment. But I, I you know, I, I speak Jersey occasionally as well. It, it, it is, it is. I, I agree with. I would agree with Rosa.
1: Well, Corey, this raises another important question, which is: Did you leave the country deliberately to get away from this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I assure you, I did not leave the country uh, mm-hmm. in order not to have to witness the collapse of my political party in utter degradation, uh, because I believe that occurred before I left the country. I left the country in order to get out of the North Korean targeting grid before <laughs> it's also we smart. fight a preventative war on the Korean peninsula, and my beloved California goes up in flames, this time caused by us <laughs> instead of by nature.
1: Yeah, Right. Which your Republican Party believes was not caused by climate change, which was caused by men or people. Um,
2: I think it was probably caused by men. <laughs> it was caused by men. Yeah, it was yeah I really think that's very. Yeah. Funny. It was really pretty much caused by the patriarchy. I,
1: that's an interesting <laughs> point. You know, I've heard a lot about that. I mean, you, know, it, you talk about. I mean, it
2: wasn't my fault. It wasn't Evelyn's fault. Uh, no, I like
1: that. I mean, just, we talk about man-made climate change, but we mean yeah, we man-made. Mean <laughs> 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 well, blo- bloke made climate change yeah, for Corey. Uh, bloke. <laughs> yeah. Are you writing these tips down, Corey, as Ed throws these things out there?
0: I really should, shouldn't I? Yeah, you
1: should. So, Evelyn, there you were in the deep state during Mm -hmm. the Obama administration, down in the third sub basement of the Pentagon. Of the Pentagon, um, which, by the way, I, I I just read that they're considering banning cell phones from the Pentagon.
4: It's ridiculous. I mean, as it is, they don't really work in very much of the Pentagon, except for the inner courtyard, which, of course, um, many of you may know, because during the Cold War, the Soviets saw these people going in and out of, like, the middle of the Pentagon, and they thought, oh, my God, that must be, like, where the command center is. And it turns out, no, that's where the grill is, you know. <laughs> like if you want to get french fries in the afternoon, that's yeah, where you go. it's the Ground Zero <laughs> Cafe the Ground the targeting point.
1: Yeah, well, so so there you were. So that's, and- like,
4: the only place you can use your cell phone Anyway, in the Pentagon, it doesn't do you much good, except when you go out to the parking lot and you want to like tell your family, "Hey, I'm on my way home. Order the pizza." You can do that.
1: Okay, well, that's useful, it's useful but, yes. but but it, but in any event, <laughs> that's setting aside the cell phone rules in the Pentagon. There, you are in the midst of all of this thing, and apparently at the time the russians were represented by carter page <laughs> Yes, <laughs> according to carter page you
0: know we're all laughing but he's one of the best investments they ever made
1: i mean but you know and he like was on some russian tv show and he was like saying oh i lived there for a couple of years and i you know i mean just as a person who's a specialist in this area and obsessed
4: with things like the memo which I did read in its entirety did you? Mm -hmm. well when you
1: see this stuff and particularly, particularly somehow we've hit a moment and hopefully it will pass quickly where all this memo stuff is about Carter Page. Uh, yeah, and all of it. American history right now is about <laughs> Carter Page, a man who was obviously held underwater for too long when he was a kid <laughs> or something like that. I mean, well done, David. <laughs> well, like, what is going on, Evelyn? I mean, did you guys know? Is this an Obama setup?
4: We created Carter Page <laughs> we just created... to make the whole thing seem laughable <laughs> when it's in fact very serious. Um, I mean, I think Carter Page is only one character, and, and having read the memo very closely, you know, I note in the final paragraph they mention George Papadopoulos. You know, I just and I just love saying that because yes, I love saying the, the Papadopoulos, villainous, the villainous um. George Papadopoulos. <laughs> Prefer to always yes. use that
2: word too. But he seems
4: like a fun guy. He gets drunk, and then he he also brags like Carter Page, but you know, usually I guess not as not on, on television. Um, he leaves that to his fiance. Um So, you know, there was a got bit, her whole, another bit she's player. She's got her own.
1: She's going to have a show on E! pretty soon. Maybe, yeah. My fiance, <laughs> Me and George. And how he <laughs> wasn't the coffee boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
4: but, you know, I think uh, it's easy for us to laugh at these people, but it's pretty darn serious what they were doing, you know, consorting with the enemy, the adversarial's, foreign state that is Russia. And it it actually baffles me that Carter Page continues to go on television talking about it as if it's nothing because it's sort of like, you know, he's he's whistling into the wind or not whistling into the wind, whatever it is, whistling past his own gravestone, (laughs) some (laughs) other analogy like that, you know, meaning he he seems to be completely oblivious to how much legal and other danger he could be in. Um, But the the memo, I agree with um, Rosa, you know, it's it's and and your colleague from Slate, it's intended to do, actually, fundamentally, just confuse the American people, make the American people say, you know, I don't even care about this Russia thing. There was another um, reporter recently who was on television, um, I'm going to forget who it was, but anyway... um, Amy, she writes for The Nation, I think. Um, Anyway, she was doing a tour around the U.S. talking to Americans, and none of them talked about the russia Mueller investigation. None of them talked about how Russia had attacked us, and none of them talked about the fact that Mueller was investigating it or that that had something to do with President Trump and people who worked for his campaign and then people who worked in in the White House. I mean, unfortunately, things like this memo only make people kind of close their ears and close their eyes and say, I don't know, this is all very confusing, and it's just people who are out to get President Trump.
3: And and for for those of us who are following, maybe non obsessively or, or less cl- closely than you, but well, Rosa didn't say she was following this obsessively.
1: Yeah, but, but not, I am. She's non-obsessive. That's pointing at me. Rosa but, didn't read the memo. <laughs> but it's hard enough actually she sits to reconstruct home. all
3: the details if you're in the Beltway. Yeah. obsessively yeah, following yeah. it is yeah. my point. So to expect the electorate to, you know, share our outrage. Yeah.
4: And they, by the way, this is the second one. This is the second Devin Nunez memo. Because remember the first Absolutely. one where he went to the White House, he got the information, Absolutely. pretended that he was giving them the information, ran back to the White House, wrote this memo you know, about the unmasking and how Susan Rice supposedly did something bad and illegal, which she didn't. Um, she was actually trying to protect America. Sorry to interrupt you. But that's the second one. I mean, you can't blame people for not keeping it straight.
3: No, no, you can't. And, and you weren't interrupting me. That, that was all I wanted to say.
4: Thank you. Wow. Kaufman said that. That would be great. So what I, have, I have one thing to add to that. Well, okay.
1: Um, to hop right in.
0: Which is that um, uh, I agree that this is extraordinarily serious, and the fact that the criminals in this particular production are Elmore Leonard characters, right? So mm-hmm. weird and quirky and kind of funny, and they think they're so smart, but they're idiots. That, as, as Ellen uh, emphasized, I also want to bang my shoe down on that one and say the fact that they're all interesting, quirky, crazy characters, right? Why is he continuing to put himself in legal jeopardy? Uh, does in no way detract... From the fact that they appear to be working with a foreign, hostile foreign government mm-hmm. in ways that are desperately injurious to our country. And even though it's funny that they're idiots, and right, like if this were an Elmore Leonard novel, they would all come to wonderfully satisfy, satisfying, possibly violent co- conclusions. Um, this is really serious, and the damage they're doing is really serious. And taking it lightly, or saying, as both Rosa and I did, "Oh, this mo is long and complicated," and I know it's stupid, um, is actually kind of what what they're aiming for. Well, that, you know, first, that they're going to kick up so much dust that nobody's actually going to be paying attention while they do terrible stuff.
1: Well, well first of all, I, I want to thank you because the Elmore Leonard. <laughs> An analogy is exactly right. This is Get Shorty. You know, I'm like looking for a part for Danny DeVito in this movie, you know, because these these guys are clownish. Um, and it's easy to lose sight of that. By, by the way, among the most clownish of them, and please tell me if you disagree, is Devin Nunez.
0: Yes. Absolutely.
1: Who is a maroon of the first order, um, <laughs> who just... You know, as a dope. But what we discovered uh, in 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 all of the reporting on this was that these memo this memo was written by a staffer of his, who goes up to the White House a lot and like goes bowling with the Trump family in the White House, and, and that, you know they, you've got to believe that the real origin of this is like they're sitting there at the White House bowling with specially drilled bowling balls that accommodate tiny little hands and 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 somebody goes you know it would be a really good idea you know Don Jr. or somebody who's like you know full of
4: really good ideas full of really good ideas
1: you know the other one was let's stick a potato in the exhaust pipe of Nancy Pelosi and 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 you know they like let's go write a memo, but but you know that we know that this kind of idiocy is happening. But as you all say, underlying it, there's some really serious stuff. And I want to sort of in bullet points go through a couple of the serious points, so that so that those folks out there in deep state radio land um, can see this for what it is. And I want to pick up one of the first points. Um, Russia is bad. Now, I was in the Clinton administration, and in the Clinton administration, there were all a bunch of people after the end of the Cold War who were there like, hey, everything's going to be fine. The Russians are all going to be great. We're all going to be friends. And they were like, we don't need nuclear weapons or we don't need to talk about that. We don't need to worry about any of this stuff. It's all going to be great. And by the way, this is the week where we mark.
4: Yes. I know what you're going to say.
3: More days since the end of the Berlin, um, the, uh, end of the wall than it, days it existed. Yes. Right.
1: Right. So we're this is now you know cast into into memory, but I also saw in the New York Times this morning of the day that we were reporting this, um, an article about the Russians <laughs> devising a nuclear torpedo that can go across the Pacific and blow up and launch a cloud of radioactivity right where Corey used to live um and you know they you know they're seemingly trying to come up with weasel words to get them even more out of their nuclear arms agreements than that they have been in and they did attack our democracy and so i'd like us each to come up with a good word or <laughs> phrase to describe russia rosa would you describe <laughs> russia as an enemy a friend a frenemy. <laughs> is this a, a
2: multiple choice quiz
1: you know no, just pick I just want <laughs> but, for our <laughs> listeners in the deep state who want to understand this in a simple way, how do we describe this well, country
2: this, i can't I can't resist uh uh giving you the old pentagon joke this is a cold war era joke uh Corey's heard it before uh um to and this is really a joke about how much there are bitter rivalries between the Pentagon and the State Department, but the joke was, what's the difference between an enemy and an adversary? And the, the answer was, uh, the Soviet Union is our adversary. The State Department is our enemy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh,
1: Both of which have ceased to exist, by the way. <laughs> right. But uh, no,
2: I, I think... I think Somewhere between frenemy and adversary is about right. Uh, Obviously, there continue to be some areas in which the U.S. and Russia can and do and should work together. Uh, There are more areas, perhaps, in which uh, Russia's activities, either by design or, or simply as a as a byproduct of other motivations, are fairly injurious, both to the U.S.'s interests and, I think, more broadly, to the interests of uh, more democratically-oriented states, period. Um, uh, I don't think that's terribly likely to change in the short run, really, no matter which party ends up controlling the White House next time around.
1: This is relevant to you, Corey, since... One British party is about to actually have a Bolshevik run the party. So I was just. Um,
2: <laughs> well, we're all socialists now. You know. We're all. We're, yeah.
1: Um, how would you describe Russia?
0: I would describe Russia as a malevolent force towards both what the United States believes in and what it has built in the world.
1: And would you describe Donald Trump the same way?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> yes, I would, David. Uh, yeah, no, I knew you would. I could just tell, by the way, you were setting that up. Ed, what about you? How would well, you describe
3: since, it? since all the good, reasonable answers have already been taken up, I'm going to make a provocative one. I'm going to describe Russia as a red herring. Um, <laughs> I think oh, a nice,
1: red nice red. turn of phrase oh. there.
3: <laughs> yes, the red, the double play. Elmore <laughs> are you going was to bring China. It was, Elmore Leonard's um, first spine. China novel, is the red to Bring up China. China's a big. I'm going to refute you. I, that you, um, rebut refute means you will you will succeed. Rebut means you will oh. try. I'm um, being a real, <laughs> like this that. is pedantic. I'm sorry, and I withdraw wow. my pedantry. Wow, um,
1: that's you know something. We're going to create a new position here. You, you can be the under <laughs> Of, of the Ministry of Sort for pedantry. <laughs> if I, could, I, 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 would, I would
3: be happy to be the third sub-basement, deep state, pedantic commissar. <laughs> I think i commissar of pedantry. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you don't confuse like disinterested and uninterested, we will remain friends. Mm. Um, okay. you know, that's, that's a, there's a red line oh. on that one. But red herring is partly the China thing, being the bigger geopolitical challenge. But it's partly the fake news problem here starts here. Russia exploited in, it
1: in our studio, in in the third sub <laughs> basement. To fight
3: back against it starts in the third sub basement. Is that um, we are blaming way too much of the fake news problem on Russia and way too little on ourselves, um, and so I think Russia serves as a, a sort of scapegoat for everything that's gone wrong, but in actual fact, it's exploited things that we've done to ourselves. And it's exploited it in very menacing, threatening ways. Don't get me wrong. Um, But I think, you know, for that reason, I would call it a red herring, but mostly just to differentiate myself from uh, what Corey and Rosa have both very reasonably said.
1: Go ahead, Evelyn, refute away. I
4: I, I have to refute (laughs) because (laughs) I've heard this so often. First of all, I would call Russia a highly corrupt adversarial state. Um, or, Or highly corrupt adversary. I'm trying to use as few words to describe Russia. But I think those are the most important point is that they're our adversary. But I also think it's very important to note how corrupt they are, because ultimately, the way that we get back at them, probably the most effective way, aside from just the general deterrence, is to really do something to attack corruption worldwide in the US and Possibly in Russia. This, okay. by the way,
1: smells like a refutation to me. Well, it's not the refutation yet. <laughs> yeah. The
4: refutation is that while uh, you know, while China is a medium to long-term challenge, and 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 to some extent a real-term challenge because they are pushing the envelope, certainly when it comes to the territorial disputes in the South China Sea and elsewhere, but. Russia right now is the immediate threat. Russia right now is the only country directly attacking our democracy and those of our friends and allies. Russia is the only country, you know, invading and occupying our our friends mainly in Europe. Um, Russia is the only weapons. country bombing with the Syrian air force the innocent people in Syria.
1: How many more nuclear weapons rep- how, how many more nuclear weapons do the Russians have than the Chinese?
4: Um, and, yes, they. I, I don't know the exact number. Um, but it's many
1: orders of magnitude. But many
4: orders of magnitude, although they do have a point. When they talk about expanding nuclear arms control dialogue to include other countries, they don't say China. They mean China. I actually agree with them there that ultimately we are going to have to expand the dialogue. But nevertheless, for the moment, they are the number one threat. And so I don't think it's fair to point to China right now because they haven't yet... Um, taken any action to so directly challenge the international order. The Chinese still believe, by and large, that the international system, the rules, and the institutions serve their interests. The Russians have d- demonstrated that they no longer believe that to be the case.
3: Okay.
1: So, I, I, you know, pers- personally, by the way, I was at refutation before you even said the word rebut because China's not our adversary. I, I, I can't think of any way. They could be a rival, but I don't see them as an adversary. I see a number of cases where the Russians have staked out the ground as being our adversaries, whether it's in you know meddling in our democracy or um, meddling in the democracy of our allies or taking position with opposite sides in other conflicts in the world or um, behaving in a menacing and threatening way with regard to nuclear arms stance or whatever. Um Uh, but leave that uh, aside. Uh, Time is of the essence here, and I want to focus on some core questions surrounding these memos to get us past all the obfuscation and um, uh, misdirection that's going on. Let's take another one, uh, and let me start with you, Rosa. Um, There's been some debate which has sort of heated up in the past week. I actually took a position on this in a, in a column in the Los Angeles Times today, about this whether or not we're in a constitutional crisis in the United States, you know, is it coming? Are we here? You know, and the Republicans are like, we're not in a constitutional crisis. I saw Hugh Hewitt, that unbiased un, um, observer on, on MSNBC, um, uh, who was 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 saying we're not in a constitutional crisis here. Um, are we? No. Uh, not, not yet. All least. right, let's move on to someone who agrees with <laughs> me. I agree <laughs> with <him>. <laughs> <laughs> you. No, know, I mean, I mean, we're at
2: a moment. We're at a moment where people are arguing over whether other actors are behaving unconstitutionally. And uh, when you're still arguing about it, you're not yet in a crisis. You're in a crisis when one group or the other blatantly ignores you know, uses uses extra legal means to get their way. You know, When when Bernie Sanders leads a coup, then we're in a constitutional crisis. When Devin Nunes leads the coup, we're in a constitutional crisis. When the entire Supreme Court resigns en masse, then we're in a constitutional crisis. We're not, we're not there yet. Uh, we, we certainly are at a moment where I think it's, it's completely accurate to say that uh, the Republicans and Donald Trump are playing fast and loose with constitutional norms and showing remarkably little interest in, in uh, upholding the Constitution's norms. Um, but, and, I, and I think that it's not at all, in keeping with my generally apocalyptic bent, uh, I don't think it's at all impossible that things could go really, really, really bad and actually turn into violent conflict of, of various sorts. I don't think that's likely, but I don't think it's impossible, but I don't think we're there yet.
1: That's you know, incredibly optimistic. By the way, I'm starting <laughs> yeah, to get the no idea problem. that mm. what she sits at home doing obsessively is figuring out how to can things, though so they'll last for 13 years. <laughs> I, you know, this, no, no, no. <laughs> I
2: don't really like canned goods
1: very much. Really? So how dry, are she dries, dries a, and
2: smokes things. That's, that's going to be a problem for me during yeah, the apocalypse. R- r- <laughs> I, I am concerned that the apocalypse is going to be bad
4: for restaurants. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Okay, Evelyn. Yes. Let's hear the correct position. Yeah. So the correct <laughs>
4: position, at least in my estimation, and, and it's true we did discuss this a little bit before we came in here, is is that there is a constitutional crisis going on, but it's sort of slow-mo, you know, slow motion, meaning that this memo was Devin Nunez's contribution to Donald Trump's attempt to take out the entire leadership of the FBI and the Department of Justice, at least those components that are supporting the Mueller investigation and you know essentially as he believes attacking him. So in my view this memo would have given now i mean or it could give the president the the excuse he needs the pretense he needs to fire any number of people rod rosenstein um, Mueller himself, who knows, um, because what he was trying to do is show that the FBI can't be trusted, that the FBI was, you know, cooking the books, planting the evidence, if you will, you know, not, not acting properly, and was operating with a biased political agenda towards him, Donald Trump. And, you know, I worked for almost a decade in the legislative branch. It's really important for the executive branch and the legislative branch to have a f- fundamental level of trust when it comes to handling of classified information and this was severely disrupted last week with this whole memo in Broglio,
2: I think that's still in the realm of crappy, disgusting, shameful behavior, though, not in the realm of constitutional crisis. Well, well, mean, if,
1: if, well, let's <laughs> ask a, What about obstruction of justice? How do you feel again, about that?
2: Again, it's obstruction of justice. It's not a constitutional crisis. Our, I Try, mean, trying Civil to war, fire the people. The Civil War was a constitutional okay, crisis. Okay, What about but, Richard but, so Nixon's? My, my, my threshold is Okay, but high. what
1: about Richard Nixon's Saturday Night Massacre?
2: Not a constitutional crisis.
1: Firing a bunch of people? Not a constitutional crisis. Um, even though he's acting beyond his constitutional you No,
2: know, I mean so okay I'm a law professor right we spend all of our time explaining to people that the constitution is a whole lot squishier than you think it is and that every law is a whole lot squishier than you think it is I think we're we're still in the domain of people of good faith could plausibly defend it legally you're not in a crisis. You're in a crisis when people start shooting at each other, or they start quitting on mass, and they just cease to participate altogether. We're we're not, I, and I and I say I mean I don't disagree at all. Needless to say, with with the assessment that this is frightening, horrifying, et cetera, et cetera, and, and I do think that there there is a danger that we we move to full blown crisis, small but not unfortunately non existent. Um, but but I think it it is it is important to sort of we toss around that constitutional crisis term I think a little too lightly. Um, the part of the reason the Constitution is squishy is precisely to make it robust. You know, it's robust because it's squishy. Uh, that there's a lot of room for a lot of variation, uh, including a lot of bad faith in there before we actually get to Including there. the firing yeah. of
1: Mueller, I mean, that
3: wouldn't oh, yeah. be a constitutional crisis. No, it crisis, wouldn't be a constitutional crisis. It would be. Oh. It would be. So
1: what would be like a what would be an action that Trump might take that would you would say this is a constitutional crisis?
2: I think if Trump said, uh, "Supreme Court, you're fired," uh, you know, and I'm posting, I, I'm calling on the military to prevent you from taking your seats to hear a case, or if the Supreme Court issued a ruling and Trump said, "I refuse to carry that out," that would be you know something something of that order would be a constitutional crisis. Um, but but no, firing Mueller would be. Would be bad. It would be reprehensible. Uh, it would violate the certainly the spirit of multiple laws. But I, I actually don't think it's. I don't think he.
1: There,
2: I don't think it's crystal clear that he lacks the power to do so in our current system. Corey, the legal power to do so. Uh,
0: I am squarely in Rose's camp on this one, uh, because Yay. I. I'm desperately anxious by what I see happening. I'm not just the behavior of the executive branch, but the failure of the legislative branch in all of its capacities for checks and balances on executive power. Um, and uh, I, too, have a really high standard for constitutional crisis, namely the uh, the Supreme Court getting arrested after determining that Trump's behavior was unconstitutional that feels like a constitutional crisis to me uh, but I I take I really take David and Evelyn's point that uh, you know uh, fascism wouldn't come to America by jackboots in the night it would come by slow creeping accretion of behavior that we get slowly desensitized to. That is, we are lobsters in heating water. Um, uh, thank the you fr- th- I, th- for
2: not vilifying frogs and claiming that they're dumb enough to stay in heating water. <laughs>
0: Whether or not frogs get boiled, we're still going to get boiled.
4: Well,
1: um, that's... Wow. Uh, this is- and I'm,
0: I'm really nervous about... So I don't yet think it's a constitutional crisis because it looks to me like despite the battering of Trump and the Elmore Leonard grifters other Elmore Leonard grifters he keeps company with that the system's holding But but I worry about the ability of the system to continue to hold largely because Congress is the canary in the coal mine of how the American public will react to stuff. Congress is, as H.L. Mencken so famously said, <laughs> the American Congress consists of one, roughly one-third liars, roughly two-thirds scoundrels, and roughly three-thirds cowards. <laughs> and Congress acts with courage and determination only when they fear voters will punish them for not doing so. And the behavior of my fellow Republicans uh, watching David Nunes and Devin. the behavior of this Wait. on behalf of David's everywhere. <laughs> it's ah, excuse Devin. me, I thank you for that correction. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, Congressman Nunes makes me really worry that when the constitutional test comes, that the political leadership of my party. Will
1: fail to meet the standard that the founding fathers set for them. Okay, so Ed, this is you—the deciding vote here before we end <laughs> this episode. Now, I'm going to stipulate that Rosa, as a constitutional law professor, has it right, and the Constitution is squishy. The question is That's whether the, the cons- technical terms—if so. you printed the Constitution <laughs> out and you printed it on a pillow. Would it be squishy like a down pillow, or would it be squishy <laughs> it like be one like of those memory foam? Would it be pillow. squishy like one of those tempur pillows that are really like a slab a of concrete, involved. and 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 you know, because those memory foam pillows they're horrible. I have one in my bed. I throw it off every night because it's just it's too hard. Um,
2: well, boy, that's the worst objection to the Constitution I've ever heard. Right, it's yeah. just, <laughs> too hard. <laughs> it's too
1: hard.
2: <laughs> a republic, if you can keep it.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, no, this is—I'm a strict temperpedic constructionist, and um, no, no. But here's the question, really, and I really think it comes down to this issue of speed. The president of the United States has come out against the First Amendment, has come out against. Um, uh, independent judiciary, has sought to obstruct justice, has started forcing people out of office who are attacking him, who have responsibility, has taken a position of ignoring altogether the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution. Uh, and and so he's eroding certain constitutional ideas, ideals, principles, however you put it. Um, but But Rosa... And Corey are describing constitutional crisis more like a cliff, where you have to go off the cliff for it to actually take place, um, which is, I mean, I, I think there's a, a very thoughtful um, substantiation for what they just said. Where do you come at
3: Um so, I don't feel qualified to answer whether this is actually a constitutional <laughs> crisis. And I will outsource my uh, you know, uh, judgment to, to Rosa on that point, uh, Rosa and Corey on that point. But I do think, and I feel less unqualified to judge, that America is in a profound crisis of liberal democracy. I think that is irrefutable. Um, I think the separation. Has anybody powers, here
1: written a book on liberal democracy recently?
3: I wasn't going to trail it, but thank you for trailing it. <laughs> Why? It just so happens. It just so happens. <laughs> Um, I think the difference, you know, if you're looking at um, whether Watergate, you know, met the full test or not, the difference between Watergate and this situation is the Republicans were in the minority when Nixon was president. Um, uh, They're in the majority today. Fox News didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Breitbart didn't exist. There was a general agreed terms of what the public square was and where the boundaries of it lay um it during during the 70s and up until much more recently today all that's gone um and i think trump's ability to demonize branches of state that ought to be neutral that have to be neutral for liberal democracy to survive is a function of you know the destruction of any idea of common ground in American democracy. And that may not constitute, uh, may, may not amount to a constitutional crisis, but it is a profound crisis of democracy, uh, and, and America is deep in it, as are other democracies, including my own, uh, in different sort of localized forms. A lot of us are going through this. I think it's worse here because America is the superpower, um, but also because Trump, it, it, there isn't actually, not even Berlusconi, you know uh, um is uh, on a par with with trump this man is a menace to what we hold dear um and i think a way bigger menace than russia but i mean we're probably splitting hairs at this point
1: and, that was very thoughtful there was a very thoughtful way of resolving this you've thrown in with rosa you've offered a better definition <laughs> of this evelyn and i feel inadequate right now i think well wow. Speak, speak for, for myself. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, okay, well, I always feel inadequate. Um, but um, I think that wraps up this discussion in a in a neat uh, and tidy way, neater and tidier perhaps than we're used to here in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK, um, but uh, in a good way. And so uh, with that, I will thank Ed and Evelyn and Rosa and Corey uh, for joining this episode of Uh, Deep State Radio. We ask you all to join us again for the next episode of Deep State Radio in which we will travel with you to the beginning of the Olympics and what's going on in Korea. Uh, And let me give you a heads up that next week, both episodes of Deep State Radio will focus on and this is going to be really exciting for all of you Deep State nerds, the nuclear posture review uh, and really do some deep diving into the current efforts to transform America's nuclear posture in important ways, which is not really getting enough attention. But that's all for the future. For now, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.